the thing where I stepped back and just took it all in was during the hymn and I knew it was coming and I just, I had to just let that all soak into my body and it was, it was a highlight for sure. And that was when I basically before the match started, that's where I, I just, I just kind of felt like I was home. Hello and welcome to another episode of FC Wald, still the only English-speaking podcast for, by, and about FC Köln fans from around the world. My name is Robert, and before we get started with today's episode, I have an announcement. We have registered Erste FC Köln Supporters USA as an official fan club with FC Köln. So if you are an FC fan in the US, you can sign the membership form now and become a part of the big supporter group family in the US. The membership is free and open to everyone who loves FC or is interested in the club. Simply go to our link, which is linktree, that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash FC Köln USA and fill out the form which should take you about one to two minutes tops. You can find the link to that also in the description of this episode. And we have created a new map of all of the FC fans in the US. We have fans in over 150 locations in the US. So you can find those two on Linktree. We are recording this episode on a Saturday, March 18th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. The game against Dortmund is just a few hours in the past. And instead of mulling over every detail of the game, I would like to focus on something else. Because, and I will say that, FC did make some obvious mistakes that led to some of the goals. But it also was BVB who are playing a great season at the moment. Of course, a 6-1 to one loss hurts. That is absolutely a normal thing. On the other hand, the body language today was very different from the last games. The fans didn't give up. The team kept trying to produce chances and did so in some of the moments. So, all that I want to say is, sure, we are in the Abstiegskampf, the relegation zone, but there were some really good aspects in the game against Dortmund that showed that this FC team has not given up and have the skills to turn things around. Against Gladbach, Augsburg and Mainz, these are the upcoming games, this won't be easy, so much is certain, but there is a chance. So use your FC optimism. Leidenschaft is the German word for passion, with the first part of the word being Leiden. By itself, that means to suffer. What I'm trying to say is, sure, everyone wants to win, but that is not where we are at at the moment. Have some empathy for the team, for the coach, for the players, and for yourself as a fan. Feeling these emotions, be it joy or pain, that's all part of feeling connected to your club. 
Things would be terrible if we just shrugged our shoulders and went on with our day. Soccer has the power to affect us deeply, even in the positive or negative way. And I think that is one of the greatest things about soccer and soccer culture. And with that, what I have to say is praise the goat and amen. Now. Let's dive into today's episode. My guest is someone who has a special connection to Köln through making Kölsch. His name is Corey. He lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is about an hour north of Chicago for those of you outside of the US listening to this. And today we are going to talk about Kölsch. Not Kölsch the language, but Kölsch the most beautiful, delightfully light, joyful, and tasty beers in the world. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's going to be fun. You are a beer brewer, a brewer. How does one become a brewer? That depends. Um, some people actually go to school for it. In fact, a lot of people nowadays, they usually wind up going to school somewhere. There's an awesome a school down in Chicago, uh, Zeebel. Uh, they actually have a a uh, course that you can do, I believe it's 12 weeks in Chicago and then 12 weeks in Munich. Might be six and six, but I don't remember. But uh, it's definitely uh, some uh, one of the ways a lot of people have gone. Uh, the UC Davis has a, a program that you can go to, Oregon State. So a lot of people uh, nowadays go to school just because it's, uh, it's a lot harder profession to get into. Uh, I started 20 years ago uh, as a home brewer. 25 as a home brewer and then i got in it professionally 20 years ago um, and i didn't have any schooling experience at the time aside from uh i was a chemistry and physics major for a little bit and a little bit meaning about two three years um so i had some science background to it but uh i got into it in 2002 without any kind of actual physical experience and then 2007 rolled around and uh, I got a scholarship to go to Zeebel. Uh That was a two weeks course and uh, yeah, I, I learned a lot there. So, um, so it really depends. You can either be a home brewer and go from the ground up, which is uh, kind of exhausting because uh, you do a lot of really uh, menial tasks in the beginning, washing kegs, just cleaning up, doing a lot of stuff like that. Or you can go to school, whereas, and get, you know, you can go straight into like a head brewer gig from there, just because you have the knowledge and the background to to be able to do that. You're not just a brewer; you're also an FC Köln fan. You're sitting uh, here at the computer. I see you're uh, sporting the lovely blue jersey. Uh, which came first, the um, the joy of coach or soccer? Ah. Uh. Uh, the joy of soccer came first. Uh, I've loved soccer since I was a kid. I think I, I know I played in the summer a couple times starting at eight years old. Uh, I think a group of us tried to get my high school to, uh, get soccer as a, as one of the fall sports that kind of fell on deaf ears when I was younger. Uh, in college, I played co-ed, played some, uh, you know, just rec leagues moved out to Portland and played a bunch of rec leagues out there. So I was definitely into soccer before Kulsh, but um, uh, 
once I got brewing and it was just what I wanted to do. And what was your first FC Köln game that you saw uh, <laughs> live or on TV? Do you remember when that was? TV? Oh man, I don't know if I could remember that far back. Uh, kind of be like eight or nine. Might have been 2000. No, it was earlier than that. It's probably about 2006 or 2007. Live, I know, because that was like two weeks ago. Which so, game was that? That was the game against uh, Wolfsburg that a bunch of us went to. Mm -hmm. So that was my first live game. Uh, um, but I've been watching them for I don't even know how long. So uh, we have to explain for the listeners who don't know, um, a bunch of the FC fans from the US went to Cologne for Carnival to have some beers and uh, to watch soccer, of course. You also met Hennis, the goat, uh, the mascot of FC Köln. You went to the Geisbockheim, uh, the, mm -hmm. the club headquarters, basically, yep. uh, and got a tour there. So uh, a fantastic package uh, in itself. Tell me a little bit about your um, experience of seeing the stadium for the first time. Oh, man, I don't know if I could get, oh, I could get too wordy about that. That was, oh. like, I would, uh, I was living in Portland for, oh, a long time. In fact, that's where I started brewing was in Portland, Oregon. And I would, I would go to the Timbers games even before they were in MLS and Once they got into MLS, the atmosphere of that stadium just got even better and better. And I didn't think I would ever top going to a to a match than that. It was just so exciting, and just walking walking in and just seeing the the the, the pitch, it was, it was absolutely amazing. It was a dream come true, uh, and the atmosphere was fantastic. It was so much fun uh, from the pregame uh, all the way up to walking. Up to the stadium it was so nice i couldn't i don't think i'll ever top that one and i thought uh the timbers were going to be the one but i don't think i'm ever going to top going to that that match what do you think it is that makes fc Köln so special or what makes that stadium exp uh, experience so special for you there's something really special about that city and the people um kolsch the beer is integral in the, in the culture And it's just the whole city comes together and you can just feel that energy in that stadium and the love of that team. It doesn't matter whether they win or lose. They, there's just so much passion and energy in that stadium that you just can't help to fall in love with it. it, it uh, it's hard to put into words, uh, but, um, you know, starting with the hymn and everything, it, uh, it's hard to get not pulled in the people every all the people that i met i'm not a bunch of strangers and they i just walked away feeling like they were my friends it's i mean it's just the whole city itself and it all comes down into that one stadium and fifty thousand some odd people and was there a moment uh maybe during the game or before the game or after the game where you kind of like took a step back and like really looked at that as the experience was there was there really something that stuck out to you that you really liked about being in the stadium you were in the Südkurve, um also mm -hmm. in the uh, western part of the Südkurve, which is a special mm -hmm. place yeah i honestly i don't know if my experience would have changed if we weren't so close to the ultras 
they honestly make that atmosphere so much more special. But I think the thing where I stepped back and just took it all in was during the hymn. And I knew it was coming. And I just, I had to just let that all soak into my body. And it was, it was a highlight for sure. And that was when I basically before the match started, that's where I, I just, I just kind of felt like I was home. That's good to hear. Uh, I'm always happy to hear when somebody who's uh, not uh, born and uh, raised in Cologne says that they feel home because that connection to the city is some something that I think uh, we take great pride in, us people from Cologne. <laughs> for sure. I, I was with my friend Scott. He's been my best friend for a long time. And we were walking. This may have been the second day we were in the city. And we were walking around and I told him that, I mean, it had been probably 10 years since I had been to Cone. And within a day and a half, I was already walking the streets and feeling like, yep, I belong here. This, this, this is amazing. I, I know the streets. I know where we're going. It was just so nice. That's good. I mean, it is basically the biggest village in uh, Germany. <laughs> um One of the things uh, in, in preparation to this interview that I've been thinking about is, so for me, I when I think about going to the stadium, one of the things that um, always is part of it is that on the way to the stadium, you have a coach. Then you go into the stadium and if you are with a group, like one of the guys gets a coach and then you get round. So coach is such an integral part of that. Why do you think soccer and beer match so well Ooh. uh well beer at its finest is basically you and a group of friends and family getting together having a beer sharing a moment talking um just you know living life um the same with soccer uh the, the best soccer i've ever seen is just when i'm with my friends we go have a beer before we walk to where we're going we find our seats we sit down we buy around and then we enjoy the match together it's kind of like a unifying experience whether you win or lose you're there with your friends you're all sharing that same moment and it doesn't matter if it's soccer or beer it's exactly the same and that's why they they fit together so well I mean, beer is also talked about as like a social compound <laughs> in a mm -hmm. way or sure. alcohol. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you think uh, compared to, for instance, your experiences uh, with the Timbers? This is maybe a curveball question, but I'm curious. So I'm going <laughs> to ask it anyway. Um, well, at the Timbers, you're not going to get coach. Has coach as a beer uh, being served outside and in the stadium an effect of your way how you watch soccer <laughs> how you enjoy soccer was there something different uh well to be fair there were two years um uh where we made a cool style it wasn't cool because obviously it was made in portland but it was a cool style and one of those years i actually was there both of those years i was there to make it and um so you could actually get coach in in the 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 stadium i don't know if that's true anymore because i haven't been back to a match in six or some odd years 
I think any kind of social experience, be it soccer or going to, let's say, a concert or just being out with friends, I, I find it's always made better with Kolsch. So my experience going to the FC match, definitely, I don't think it would have been the same without, you know, having one in my hand for sure around the way in and and in the, in the stadium. Well, that's very interesting that they uh, or that you made coach for for the timber. So that's a that's a good uh, segue to my next question because I mean, uh, for those of you uh, not from the U.S. listening, a coach has slowly but surely uh, spread across the uh, U.S. market over the last decade, I would say, or maybe a little more even, um, and it became a very popular addition to especially um, smaller brewery menus. Why do Do you think coach can be appealing to the American palate? What does it bring to the table? Um, for a lot of places, it's um, especially the smaller ones. They have a, you know, they have a big menu of beers they have to make. It's one of what what in the industry they call a gateway beer, which will get a lot of people who aren't really interested in or it hasn't been interested in craft beer in the way that some are so it it's something easy drinking for people who aren't really ready for say an ipa or um you know some people don't want to drink the stouts or or darker beer because i think it's going to get them fuller which is another story but it's not necessarily true but i think kolsch Or Kulsh, when it's on a menu in the U.S., Kulsh style is there because it's going to help bring people in that may not have uh, come into the industry or come to drinking craft beer any other way because just it's light, easy, and you know it's low in alcohol or lower in alcohol. So it's just one of those um, beers that doesn't take as long as a lager theoretically. Um, it still takes a long time, but Uh, it's definitely something that I could take my dad before he passed away. I could take my dad to my tap room and he, I know exactly what he was going to get. And it was always going to be the coast because it was like the easiest drinking beer on the menu. I mean, it's a summer beer in, uh, <laughs> in, in, in other terms. It's, it's light, it's refreshing. Um, but since I actually really don't know, how long does it take to make a coach? Good one. Anywhere between uh, ours did five weeks. It would take a full on 14 day ferment being it. It didn't take 14 days to ferment out, but we would do ferment and a, a, a diacetyl rest, which is, yeah, it's just a technical term for getting something that you don't want in the beer out. And then we would lager it for three weeks. So um, if you left the rest out, you could get one in four weeks Uh, typically, uh, ales could take anywhere between seven and 14 days. Uh, so an IPA, depending on how, how you're making it could take 14 days. Uh, you know, something like a golden ale or something that's not really highly hopped probably take like seven to 10 days. So it's, it's just a matter of the, 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 the secret of Kolsch is the lagering period. If you don't do that, it's not real. It, it's, it's not the same. Well, uh, I mean, parallel to Cologne, the city, uh, Cologne is known for being uh, not very effective 
things take a lot of time. It's kind of laid back and slow. Uh, it's the Italian way. We're the most northern city of Italy. And uh, I guess that also goes for the Kirch process. So uh, there you have it. Makes perfect sense to me. After um, spending 10 days there, I can totally agree that they take their time. <laughs> Little uh, side note here, uh, everybody who still thinks that German efficiency is a thing, it's not. It absolutely isn't. Uh, it's a lie. Don't be, don't be fooled. <laughs> um, but so here is a little bit of knowledge that I looked up or that I remember, but please do um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I probably am. Because um, so Kölsch is an Obergieriges beer, that is a top fermented beer. Correct. Which was way back in the days when Kölsch uh, started to get made in the form that it was made uh, in mm -hmm. its predecessor, the, the Wies, the white, the Wies. Mm -hmm. uh, which is more cloudy. And then in the um, filtered version that we have now, that more crystal clear. Uh, right. But the top fermentation was a fairly new and unconventional thing. Uh, is that correct? No, no, it's opposite. Okay, so top fermenting um, is the oldest form of uh, fermentation, and then someone way back, and I'm I you know it's I didn't do any history today. I'm just kind of not even winging it, but I'm not. Someone uh, discovered uh, the bottom fermenting yeast, and um, that came in in a later. I'd say 1800s or it's in the 1800s. Okay. So, I mean, for anyone listening to the, the podcast, that's pretty much all you need to know. Lagering lagers. And that started later on, um, primarily because lagers need some way of temperature control, uh, cause they have to ferment at lower temperatures. So, uh, uh, ales like these and, well, not necessarily kills, but ales like these didn't really need to, you didn't really need to keep it from getting to a certain point because that, that certain point is where they wanted to ferment at. So it's, uh, it's the, so these came before stuff like Pilsner. Mm -hmm. So is Kölsch in its, um, process of uh, being produced fundamentally different from other, uh, American beer? There is actually a difference um, uh, that most of the production of Kelsch roughly mimics the same way, but it depends on the brewer. Um, some brewers will ferment at a low, really low temperature. Some will ferment, uh, ferment at a medium temperature. Kelsch is kind of weird that way because you don't, they don't have a standard of what temperature that you're going to ferment at. It's all really based on the brewer and what they want to present as their kills so there is a difference but it's not i mean most of the production standpoint is the same as making an american beer just not as highly hopped to say it with roxy music coach is so uh more than this um <laughs> yes uh yeah um kills is so much more than the beer itself yeah. I, by trade, before I was a brewer, uh, I got my degree in cultural history. Um, that's my degree. I was a Native American historian for a while until I 
bagged that because I didn't want to be just another white dude trying to teach history about a, a culture that wasn't necessarily my own. Um, but from that, I basically have uh, developed a, a, a unique uh, passion to brewing that a lot of other people don't have because I try to tie a lot of stuff to the culture that surrounds it. And um, while I haven't been to the Czech, uh, I haven't been to Prague, I haven't been to some of those other places, Kolsch, Kolsch the beer would not be what it is without the people of the city, the city itself, and the brewers that make it. It would be a completely different beer if it was, say, made in London. It would not be the same. But like, what do you think it is that, um, I mean, beer, like so many other things, is contextual, right? Um, mm. But what is it? Like, is it the Kubis, the waiter who brings you the beer? Is it the environment? Is it uh, just the people and their ways? Or is it that it comes in a bottle or in that small <laughs> glass or in, in a can, uh, which is more rare in uh, in Germany? Sure. Uh, it's all of that, actually. Um, you wouldn't, you can't have coast without the Kovis. Um, draft is always better. Um, doesn't matter what beer we're talking about. Draft is always better. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, the people, the history of that, that city, um, the, just the, the, um, civic pride can drive. It, I, I think it drives that that beer and makes it what it is. Um, so there's a lot of factors to it that, you know, don't necessarily, you wouldn't know if you didn't actually go visit. And uh, so when you were in Cologne, like, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience, which I... I assume that since you are a man of the craft, uh, you're also uh, either passively or actively using it a little bit as research of uh, of your own, uh, plus all of the enjoyment. But um, tell me about your experience of uh, going to like a Brauhaus, like Mühlen, Gaffel, or uh, Frü. Ah, yeah. So, man, I hit so many too. Um, this time I went. Uh, more t with the idea of tr just trying to get the feel on the, the minute differences in each Brauhaus. Um, I wanted specifically to see if I could find some, some of the beers that actually had the minerality of the, the water because it's one of the It's one of the things that I think give Kolsch its snap is that the, the city's water um, erroneously was in other textbooks said that the city's water is soft and it's not soft at all. It's pretty, it's got a temporary hardness to it that comes out, that can come out in the beer. And I was hoping to see if I could find that. And I did. I found it in Mule. Science. Uh, uh, I got it in the the, the fresh version of Reisdorf. It was it was because back here I don't get it as much. Like I'm drinking a Gaffel right now, and I don't get that minerality. Might be because it's been you know 
sitting on a ship for so long, whatever. But the fresh ones, it was the one thing I was trying to get. And I also spent a lot of the times that I was at a brow house or uh, a Thai restaurant. Um, I actually studied the the Covis. I wanted to see how I wanted to watch them work. And it, I came away knowing or th- believing that what they say is true. And I don't know if you've, you, you've obviously from there, but apparently one of their sayings is uh, their job, is it's not work, it's a lifestyle. And I, w- I walked away after watching them for nine days straight. That it is a lifestyle. They, there's more to just uh, collecting a glass and then putting a beer down. They do a lot more interaction that is seen and unseen, and it's part of what makes Coast Coast. So I went in hoping to find a beer that mimicked the one that I made, and I was hoping to see what what actually uh, the the Cobas bring to the beer and i found exactly what i was hoping to find and more that's great i mean i absolutely share your experience there uh so the the kürbis for those of you who don't know what a kürbis is google it right now k an o with an umlaut b e s that's how you spell it and they are really i i think well i uh, just did it. Uh, I um, translated it to waiter, which is absolutely not correct. Because as as you said, Corey, there's so much more there, the face of the brewery. It almost feels like you're stepping into their space. I mean, of course, there are employees there, um, but they um, socialize, they have this presence. I feel like most of the Kubis, um people or the the, the persona um, actually belongs on stage. They're almost like actors. They are very extroverted. They're very loud, um, mm-hmm. especially in Cologne. They are the ones who have that certain sometimes snarky, sometimes uh, harsh humor, but never mean, always kind of with that, with that full-on heartfelt love for the city for the beer but also for the people they treat you with respect if you treat them with respect and over the course of the evening depending on how many rounds you order uh, mm-hmm. let them <laughs> bring you because they often don't ask you they just put yeah. the search on and they are sometimes very very fast with that so that's also a skill i had one that i was i was watching this guy was phenomenal and uh I had watched him. He had just delivered our beer and delivered a beer, his beers to another table. And he had one left on his, on his crown and he took it and he drank it. And I was looked at, I just looked over to him and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Cause I wanted him to come over and do that with us. And then he brought another round and I was like, and he was walking away with one left. And I, was, I said, Hey, what are you doing? Come back. Mm-hmm. So he had one with us. And then about 15 minutes later, he brought me one and we both did a full on shot together because I had like I brought him into the table. It was there's something to what they do and they just make you feel so happy and, you know, part of the part of the crowd. Yeah. 
I one of the things that I noticed last August when I watched one of them is that it's really they have that wrist technique of setting a beer on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, these glasses are small. They are uh, very slender, very high. So it's kind of hard to place them because there is not a, a lot of uh, uh, basically space uh, that where you can set the glass on without it potentially falling over but somehow they have a technique where they flick the wrist and it just sits perfectly on the table and they do that so fast then do the typical uh movement of getting their pen that is behind the ear and then mm-hmm. marking all of the decker it's it's a it's a dance it's a choreography maybe that's a good way to describe it too there it totally is yeah and then they f- they'll flick it on and then pick up the empty one at the same time it's just it's amazing to watch how they how they work and it's, it's, you can't, it's, it's tied into the beer. The beer wouldn't be the same if that's the way it was, if you didn't get that type of service in, in cones. Yep. And uh, one of the things that you uh, also said uh, about the water. Um, yeah, I can definitely second that. Uh, my dentist can also second that they were, they're continuously surprised at the quality of my teeth. And I always tell them it's the cologne water that made it that way. Um, there was a, song by the uh, Blackfirst, one of the uh, main um, bands in the culture mu- music scene. Uh, and they sang the song, uh, Dat Wasser von Kölle ist Jod, which means the water of Cologne is very good. So um, mm-hmm. there you have it. It's it's written in stone. Um, sure. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about the the labels you mentioned it earlier so you, you're only um su- uh, supposed and allowed to call your beer a coach when it's brewed within a certain uh area in and around cologne yeah uh, so that is why for legal reasons and for um categorizing reasons um what you can find here in the u.s is a coach style ale or just coach style for short um do you think that makes sense yes i do as a historian i totally think it makes sense um i've gotten in so many uh discussions about this with people on socials and at bars um and and i think it it's it's hard to explain to the people of America just how much this beer is uh, how much it's tied to the city of Cone. I don't think they understand just how integral it's part to the everyday life of everyone there. Um, plus, because of that, it just it's. I think it's necessary. It's protected by the EU. Uh, I think it's just necessary to, because it's not just a beer. It's kind of like a, I'm going to borrow the 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 Covis thing and say it's a lifestyle. It's it's not just a blonde beer in a tall cylindrical glass. It's it's got everything else into it. And honestly, sometimes in the U.S., I'll go and I'll have a, a one at a brewery, and I can. I, I can tell they just don't have that kind of like love or understanding of the culture and it comes out in the, in the final product. So I think it's absolutely necessary. I know there's probably more people out there that will argue differently, but it, it's, 
it's just one of those things that we have to protect because it's not it's not just about the beer or making the beer and you said that you were trying to find something new in cologne while tasting all the beers while experiencing the places um, mm -hmm. was there something that uh, stuck out to you that you found that you didn't expect about the city or the beers uh i don't know if i didn't if i did um uh, i was honestly like i had never i've the last the few times i've gone to cone i i had never like gone to just like a plain out bar um not tied to a specific brewery it's not a Brauhaus. so i'd gone to a couple of them on this trip and they they treat the beer and they treat their customers in the same way they're not cobus you, you still get kind of the same treatment um so it's kind of sh i was kind of shocked about that because it's i mean they don't really have a you know tied to a brewery so um it, they're just running a bar but because coach is the way coach is you know We were sitting there watching. Uh, we were watching Bayern Munich play somebody. I don't even remember who they were destroying them. Uh, and the the bartender kept coming by and just plopping beers down in front of us until we put the coaster on top. So I think that, I think that surprised me because they don't really need to do it that way, but yet they still do. Yeah, I think that is uh, just uh, one of the historic things, the the cultural traits that are kept alive, which is an interesting thing that. It's kind of unquestioned, uh, but it, I think there's no uh, necessity to change it. It's mm -hmm. just a way that puts the responsibility of drinking uh, towards well the, the customer in a in a very nonchalant, but also in a respectful way where you see eye to eye. And yeah. I That, that is something that is like maybe even deeply democratic in a uh, bar sense. Um, For sure. Maybe that, that is also an, an interesting uh, way of looking at that. Um, you just mentioned watching soccer games. So in early 2023, uh, you were in Cologne for Carnival, for FC games, for consuming a respectable amount of Kölsch. And I made uh, all It's of an understatement. <laughs> I made all of you traveling fans a Kölsch uh, Pass, a Kölsch mm -hmm. passport, basically, yeah. which was basically a list of all of the available Kölsch in Cologne, which was, I think I, I got some of them back from, from some of you, uh, and they were pretty much checked all the way through, uh, except yeah. a, a few ones that were rarities. Um, let's talk details. Is yeah. there a coach that you particularly loved? Moltzmüller was really good. Um, part of that is because it's a, the experience at the Brauhaus was good, but mm -hmm. the, the actual coast was really good. Um, I still am surprised. You and I had talked about this, but I'm still surprised that I, I really like Reisdorf because when I first started drinking Kölsch as much as I could, Reisdorf was the only one you could get, and it was so old and oxidized that I didn't particularly like it. So I always had that in the back of my mind until you said that the the Kölsch that I made here in the States tasted like Reisdorf, and then I got a fresh one here in Milwaukee, and I was like, oh, my God, he's right. And then I got an actual one off the, the fresh one there. And it was, it was like, yeah, this is really good. So it's come a long way from, 
you know, 20, 2005 when, you know, all you were getting were bottles and they were all oxidized by the time they got to the States. We had not the Zoomf. What was the other one? We went and, oh my God, we drank so many of those. There was, it was one of, the, yeah, yeah, we had that one. I liked that initially, but after a while, I could taste uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an overly sweetness to it that I don't particularly like, but it was still really good. I still wouldn't call it like the worst. Science was good. I've had Zoomf, but not there. I think I finished over half of that that card. What did you think about Schreckenskammer? Oh, I like I had it in the bottle and I liked it, but you were telling me to go get it fresh. But every time I tried to go, they weren't open. Oh, so I never got it fresh, but I really liked the bottle version of it. It was really good. The first one I was like, oh, looked at the date and I'm like, oh, this is pretty old, but it's really good. And then someone gave me another one that had been bottled maybe a month before that. And I was like, man, this is so good. I like that one. Where do you make the, the cutoff where you say like, mm, I'm going to put that back in the, in the crate or in the cooling shelf and I'm going to look for a, another bottle. Like what, what would you say is like a good, like uh date difference from bottling to opening it to the big, from the bigger ones like Gaffel, Reisdorf, um, and and uh, through i might go a year just because now their pack the packaging is so much better especially if it's in a can Reisdorf and and uh Goffel, you can get in cans in milwaukee sometimes you can get through but the smaller breweries i wouldn't go past six months um just because uh it's it it, it They may not have the equipment and the, the quality control in line to um, make it so that they can last longer, um, which isn't really a slight on the brewery. I mean, the brewery I work for, um, we would only have it for six months. And then if it was over six months old, we'd, we'd bring it back. So it's just a matter of, you know, you want the freshest stuff out there. So, like, I don't worry too much about Gaffel or Rice Store for Fruit in the state or in Milwaukee. But there's a place that has Zuner and sometimes Scion. And uh, I'll always check to see the dates on those just because they're not as well known. You can only get them in, like, two places in the city. So they may have been sitting there for a while. Okay. I never thought about checking the date on that. I think... Um, in my life, uh, I have had two beers that were noticeably bad because they must have gone old or there was something with the with the bottle cap that was wrong or something like that where you could immediately tell. But um, yeah, I always, I, I mean, we all do that with wines looking at the date and that's sure. a defining factor. But for, for beer, I had never thought about that. So yeah, I, I might want to do that. Um, oh. Was there a beer that, or a coach that kind of let you down or that you thought was kind of a disappointment? I did not, no. Um, I thought all of them were really good, um, some better than the others. Uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't try all of them on there. Um, some of them I had been 
and I'm not going to name them, but told not to drink. So I didn't go and search them out. I didn't actually see one to begin with. So I didn't try and search it out. Um, but all the ones I had, I thought were good versions of the style that, like I said, that one had the overly sweetness at the end that was a little off putting, but it, I drank four or five of them. So obviously I didn't think it was like, bad enough where I would never have again. Um, so not this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then, then let me, let me ask you this question. Um, you mentioned the changing of taste over time. So that indicates to me that when you're drinking the beer, you're not just drinking it for uh, the effect of getting drunk. There is an aesthetic process in like perceiving the taste of beer. Uh, and as you go along drinking so one of the pictures that i got one evening from one of you from a bar was uh that the deck of the coaster was all the way round. so there were quite a lot of uh kölsch um that you had mm-hmm. does kölsch taste better for the first two or three or does it grow on you over time as you drink What what happens in terms of, of aesthetics, taste, um, maybe even chemistry? Uh, yeah, over time. I mean, that that I'm, I'm sure I know which coaster you're talking about. That one was a good 20 people sitting around just drinking at uh, Kills After a Coast. That was actually the bull beer. And I, th- I think I maybe have five or six. Um, I would say if you didn't, if you're just sitting at the bar, just rocking them back after about I thought, you know, three, three's a, you know, five's a liter. Five of them are one liter. Mm-hmm. So that's just essentially two pints. I wouldn't assume that you would, you would start losing kind of your, unless you're knocking them, you know, unless you're doing, you know, a liter in less than an hour, then yeah, your, your taste buds are going to get wrecked. There's the, the one thing about this beer is that it's not, there's enough balance and between the ingredients that it's not going to wreck your palate. So you could have many of them and they're not really gonna, your, your taste buds are not really going to be like, you're not going to get palate fatigue as you would with an IPA. So you can, you're not going to notice much. I generally, I did a lot of uh, uh, eating while drinking um so my palate was kind of cleansed while we were drinking so the times where i've had a lot i actually had food as well so that helped i didn't notice a difference but i don't think i will unless i was just knocking them back i don't think i would notice a difference uh between one and say number nine um just because like i said it's there's a nice delicate balance in this beer and it's not going to just it's not going to overpower overpower your palate to the point where it's not going to taste the same. And uh, so you talked about food, um, which is mm-hmm. a huge part of the drinking culture. Uh, what were some of the uh, the dishes that you got that, uh, that you loved? Oh, I had plate after plate after plate of Nethoppen. Oh, I can I can't get enough of that food. It's just so good. Metapen is basically a um, half of a roll with uh, raw, fresh 
ground meat and onions on it. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's very important that it has not been sitting uh, on the counter under the lights all evening, that it's made, <laughs> that it's made fresh. Otherwise, you uh, have a long evening in the bathroom uh, yep. when you get some bad stuff. So, But when yeah. quality uh, met uh, the raw ground beef it is really good sorry for it uh, oh no that's fine the best one i had had uh blue onions on it and not white onions and they were like diced up better that actually i surprised me i thought that i didn't know that was going to be my favorite but that was my favorite throughout um and then Himalunwood, i had a really good one at the end of the end of the trip i was I was like, I had kept putting it off and putting it off because some of the places do the, the blood sausage where they cut it uh, lengthwise and some of them do the discs. And I was waiting for the discs because I, the, the, the lengthwise to me is when you cut it that way dries out faster. So it wasn't as, it's not as, uh, it's not as like a, uh, it doesn't melt in your mouth the way the discs do. So I had to wait till the end of the trip for that. But when I did, it was like, it was the best. It was the best Himalayan I've had in a long time. Yeah. And then. Uh, Let me maybe explain for that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So Himalayan Ad um, means heaven and earth. Uh, so that is, uh, the heaven is the apple. So that is uh, like kind of chunky uh, apple sauce uh, with potatoes, which is the earth then. So you have that and there's a vegetarian version, which is just potatoes and um apples and then there's the version with the blood sausage as you said but sorry continue oh that's fine um yeah because you can't you don't you, you wouldn't see it too often in the states i'm pretty sure if i went to the butcher down the street they have blood sausage but you're not just going to find blood sausage in your grocery super uh, like meat market what else did i have honestly i i i had the whole time i was there i had one pretzel which is kind of funny because every time you think of German food, pretzel is always the first thing that pops into your head. Uh, that is I more Bavarian. To, I mean, it, uh, yeah. So in in Cologne, you probably can more find like a a rye bread, like a small mm-hmm. uh, roll. Basically, those are more the the uh, Rhinelandian. Uh, yeah, dishes. I had my fair share of that. Um, Bratwurst, currywurst, uh, always favorites. I tried Lucas Podgoski, Podolski's donor. I like that, but it was also really late at night. So anything that late at night is going to taste good after drinking a lot of beers. Although I hear it's still, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good uh, donor. Um, what else did I have? Uh, I didn't have the half, uh, the, 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 the gouda and bread i didn't have a half of that i didn't have that one yeah that is a, the little trick i think i mentioned that in an early episode of this podcast um that is called halvahan which is halvahan, a, yeah. half a chicken um if you translate it directly but uh, when tourists uh, order it and think that they would get half a chicken they just get a uh, yeah, a roll with cheese, and uh, that is kind of like a, one of the tricks that is always lovely when uh, when you see tourists just with wide eyes, just not understanding. <laughs> so I think 
that again goes for the the humor of the Kubis and the Turkish <laughs> culture. Yeah, they, they they call it. What is it? Do they call it? Is it really called Kölsch tapas? Oh yeah, Kölsch tapas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, that's. I mean, that's part of the culture. Uh, I uh, of course I had schnitzel. I had uh, we went to buy on a climb and and had uh, had the schnitzel there. Oh, that's it good. was good. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't regret not getting the full because I wouldn't have finished it. But man, that full the full size one looks it was it was massive. It is, but it looks so good. And there, yeah, I think they uh, do the flash frying of the uh, of the thing just perfectly, so it's not soggy or anything. It's just no. lovely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I just happened, I happened to be there. Uh, the trip was during my birthday. So I was supposed to have my 50th in Cone with my friend Scott two years ago, but COVID messed that up. So I took, this was my belated 50th uh, and his belated 50th because he's a year younger than me. Uh, so I had schnitzel on my birthday. That was nice. I really enjoyed that one. You met at, uh, where, where were we? Um, oh, it was early on. See, I'm going to forget now. It was at a brow house. I just can't remember where I went now. There I'll remember it before the episode's over and I'll just blurt it out. Just okay. surprise everybody. <laughs> everybody get ready. Um, yeah, one of the, the things that I that I wanted to ask you, you talked a little bit about your historic um, interests. And I mean, you're from Wisconsin and Wisconsin, for those of all uh, you out there who don't know, is one of the regions where um, the Kölsch dialect was actually actively spoken uh, mm-hmm. in the mid, um, up to the to mid uh 20th century um some some researchers of the university of wisconsin in madison actually made some recordings with people speaking kind of coach but it's a weird version because there is that american accent kind of in there um did you ever kind of dig into that when you were um working on and with coach and um did you find any coach roots in the state uh, I never did any digging. I kind of had a, I kind of had a, I had a belief that, uh, this area of Wisconsin was in, like a lot of immigrants from that region of, from the North Rhine Westphalia region. Um, my mom's, most of my mom's side is from the Paderborn region. Um, and then if you go back on my dad's mom's side, there was a, uh, a relative that came from Cone uh, to the States. So we have a, uh, this region, just because it's mostly Roman, Roman Catholic, but they're mostly Germans, which from my understanding of German history is mostly in that region. Um, so I didn't, didn't know that the dialect was spoken here but i had a it doesn't surprise me it doesn't surprise me at all i mean coach uh, is and uh, cologne or german culture is very much in the middle of um the u.s 
uh, society in in mm-hmm. many many ways. Uh, you can see that all over the place with their okay. cultural institutions and and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's veer back to uh, to Kölsch. Can you name some to you? It's very subjective, but noticeable examples of very good Kölsch that you can get in the U.S. Because I think we have uh, made a lot of the listeners thirsty by now. Well, you know, uh, Dovetail down in Chicago make a, a, a really, really good one. Um, out on the West Coast, uh, Freem make a really good one. Uh, Gigantic and 5440 make a really good one. Uh, I know there's one in Minneapolis, and now the name of the brewery is escaping me. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I haven't traveled a lot in the States too much recently, obviously because of COVID. Uh, but I would say if you're looking for one, try and find a uh, brewery that is uh, also more focused on loggers. Notch is going to have a good one. Sorry, I forgot about Notch. The, uh, they're out in uh, on the East Coast. Um. But if you're if you're looking for a really good one, try to find a brewery that actually uh, makes more than one lager. Because if they're doing that, then they're probably spending the time making good coals. Um, a lot of people uh, like uh, in Wisconsin. And sorry, this is Wisconsin centric, but um, New Glarus makes one that uh, in the summer. It's only in the summer, whereas some of those other ones are year round. Like Dovetails is year round. I believe notches is year round uh gigantic down in over in portland is year round uh 5440s is year round so those are the ones that i know of off the top of my head just because uh i've drank a lot i've, I've consumed a lot of them so um but i would if if you're looking for a really good one like i said i would look for a brewery that makes more than one lager on a regular basis because they're going to put the time and respect into making a, a good coach. What is the practice of uh, making a coach in a respectful way in the context of its history? I mean, I guess it's just a matter of um, don't cheap out on ingredients. So don't buy just um, you want to make sure you're uh, the ingredients you're using uh, specifically malt and malt uh is of the highest quality uh that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be german it just means that you you take the time uh as a brewer a brewer would take the time and taste the malt that he that he or she or they or them are going to put into um the 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 coast uh and make sure that that taste is going to come out in the flavor of the beer uh don't try and um don't try and be like new and throw some new hops into it because the new hops in my opinion are going to overshadow that delicate balance that i talked about they're going to take over um and you don't need a lot of them for to do it they're just you throw them in in the they're just overly, overly fruity, overly citrusy. 
they just do not impart the flavor that you're going to want. Uh, treat the water uh, to try to make it as close to, uh, close to cone as possible, because you're not going to get you're not going to get that snap without it. And then just uh, you, it, because lager brewers are going to tend to um, treat their yeast a little differently, they're not going to try and ram a beer through. Uh, sorry. Uh, they're not going to try and ram a beer through. So they're going to, uh, they're going to treat the yeast with a, a little more care. Not that yeast, ale brewers don't, but, um, if you're just trying, if a brewery is just trying to jam a beer through in production, they're not going to let the beer mature the way it's supposed to, you know, that's the way. Um, I would, I mean, that's just, uh, that's just a general respect for all beers that they're making, but with, with Kolsch, it's all of those ingredients. That's, that's a delicate, that's a delicate balance that you're going to try and hit. If you're not, if one ingredient's off, it's, it's going to throw the whole beer out of whack. So, I mean, Kolsch is also a beer that, uh, basically, gets its, its personality through uh, sticking to very, very strict traditions. There is not mm -hmm. a lot of wiggle room for um, for variations. Sure. Uh, while you were talking, one of the um, things that came to my mind that really uh, surprised me was uh, a couple of summers ago, I drove to Iowa to an undisclosed smaller city there, and I went to a brewery. It was a very, very hot day, and mm -hmm. they had a coach. And mm -hmm. talked to the to the guy there uh, behind the bar, and um, he's like, "Oh, we also have a special coach. Um, it's with uh, pickle juice." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, and it's immediately my thing, like, "Oh my god!" Like, what an abomination! But he he was so enthusiastic about it, so he he gave me some to try, and I have to say, it kind of worked which I did not expect. So um, <laughs> it is interesting. I, I, I don't know if you can still call it a coach then because, I mean, coach is so puristic in, in that sense. Um, maybe it's just like another variation. But um, is there a combination that you could imagine working with coach? There's probably, oh yeah. I mean, I've, I made a, I made a, a coffee beer with, our, with the coach. And it was, it was good. I thought it was pretty tasty. Um, I personally wouldn't call it a coffee coach because once you add something that's not, uh, by definition, a part of coach, it's no longer a coach. Um, but that's just me being me. Um, I still don't like it if people say they make a strawberry coach. I'm like, well, once you added the strawberries, it's no longer a straw. It's no longer a coach. And I'm not saying it's a bad beer. It's probably a really good beer. It just shouldn't, because it it can it's it's it confuses um, the term coach once you start throwing other stuff into it. But there, are, I mean, I've had a watermelon version of it that was good. Uh, I've had a strawberry one that was really good. So there are like other things that can be added to it when they're still delicious beer, but. It's, You can add a lot to a, a Kelsch just because the beer is so balanced already. 
that it makes it easy to like add other things and it can still be really good i mean some of the um things that i can think about right now for instance something that you can get in clone is a kölsch cola so a kölsch with coca-cola in it mm -hmm. uh, even sold in a bottle which is something that i never drink some of my friends do like it um, <laughs> well would you say you're more of the traditionalist and saying like no kölsch should stay what it is or is it really a shame that um there is that close connection to wanting to follow that tradition that actually then lacks a lot of room of maybe even successful exploration uh i'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to it um primarily because of what we've already talked about that the culture of the city and everything that goes into it is they're all equally important to the beer itself. Um, so once you start moving away from that, then you're starting to move away from uh, what makes Kos Kos. And I'm not saying don't add stuff to it or don't, you know, see how it, see, you know, what, if you wanted to add a newer hop to it, um, I'm not saying don't do it. I just don't. It's it's moving away from the what makes the beer the beer itself. We made one my one of my first beers at the plate at the place I was working at was supposed to be our our uh, our uh, flagship pilsch, and I put a newer style of German hop into it, and it. It, I didn't even use a lot. It just came off really orangey. And I was like, there's no way that we could call this a kosh just because it doesn't taste like it. So we, we sold it. It sold really well as a German pale ale, but it wasn't, we didn't label it as a kosh style and don't think we could have because, because it would have been different than what comes to people's mind. If I if I read your your answer correctly, um, it also means that if you add your kölsch or what you brew as a kölsch uh, and you you add something to it, there's a lot to hide behind. But when you are just making a traditional kölsch, you're setting yourself up to much more potential of failure because you really have to nail it because uh, you have to get it absolutely right. Otherwise, it's not a kölsch, right? Right. Right. Uh, there's brewers out there. I'm not obviously not going to name them, but there are some brewers out there that will use stuff like fruited purees to hide a defect in a beer. And so sometimes when you see, you know, something like someone with, let's just say blueberry, they threw blueberry in a coal. So would they throw in the blueberry in there because they thought it was going to enhance the beer or did they throw the blueberry in because it didn't wasn't what they wanted but they can't dump the beer down the drain so they have to somehow sell it mm -hmm. so that's i mean that's that is some of the tricks of the trade when it comes to the brewing industry and so like you know, if you're adding something to it is it is it are you adding it as an improvement and it's kind of hard to say you're trying to improve a coast, 
by adding coffee or strawberry or fruit or whatever, chili, whatever. It's hard to improve on that beer. If you're doing it out of experimentation, totally cool. But once, once that you keep doing that, it's no longer what it, it ceases to be what it used to be and it's become something new. And if it's become something new, find a new name for it. Because if you're experimenting in that way, you want a new name, you're, you know, and you can sell it. Speaking of selling, um, one of the biggest differences between German brewing uh, companies and U.S. brewing companies that are selling Coach is that American brewing uh, companies understood how to market their Coach better in my uh, uh, from from my perspective, with a more playful um, graphic design, with uh, more playful names. Um, mm -hmm. What would you name your ideal coach? Oh man, that is a tough one. Um, I'm kind of simplistic, so as an American brewer, I would simply just call it. I just call it cone and have, a, and have the dome on it. But, um, I don't know. Um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, that's what I would have called it before. Um, it's, I think it depends on the brewery. Yeah. Um, cause you gotta go the brewery in the States. You have to have, you have a, it's different. You're not focused on the, how historical the brewery is. You're focused on a certain like viewpoint, not viewpoint, but you want to, you know, you want to project yourself in a certain image. And so the names have to follow that. So I think it would depend on the brewery and what we're trying to project as our image. So if I understand you correctly, it really is a fully curated package in order to bring the message and the experience across because you're not, well, if you buy a beer here in the US, uh, if I go to a liquor store, uh, grab it out of the um, fridge and then bring it home, open it, well, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I don't have the Kubis serving me the culture. Right. So um, what are some of the mechanisms or like how would you um bring these the spirit or the 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 vibe of cologne uh to people drinking a coach here uh color wise i'd probably use red and white for sure just because it's part of the the, the city flag um i would try and juxtapose the city that i'm brewing in with the city of Cone. Um, like Milwaukee, uh, has the home bridge, the, I don't know what the bridge is with all the locks on it. I don't know if that has a name, but Cone has that one. They're yeah. both kind of similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I'd use, you know, that bridge or one of our bridges, it, it, I'd try and juxtapose the two cities together. Um, I mean, off the top of my head, those were the those would be the first two things I would do. Um, I don't know, slick name doesn't necessarily need it, just because most of the good kilses out there uh, dovetail. Um, I don't even. I think notches is just. I don't think they have a name for it. I think most of them are just kill style, like they don't have a slick name. They just haven't. They just call it what it is. 
And that I think being as simple as that, that would be nice. Okay. So really keeping with that um, kind of like broken down to, to the core kind of, mm. yeah. Yeah. I would love to uh, drink a, a coach that is called Kubis um, and kind of like has that, uh, like maybe an illustration of the Kubis holding mm-hmm. the Kranz, uh, with all of the beer, maybe even drinking one, you know? <laughs> For sure. Setting in um, yeah. So, uh, was, oh, the, the one I wanted to, when I was early, early on, in brewing, I wanted to call my coast the confessional What's because, that? uh, because, uh, historically the place where the Cobus would hand in their money at the end of the night was this small room that apparently was just called the confessional. And a man would come, it would be a man back in the day. It would be a man. And they, the Cobus would bring their, their, and turn in their money for the night and put it to this man that sat in the confessional. So that's why I was going to call it the confessional, which is also a tie to, you know, Catholicism and history and everything. So it's just kind of a funny juxtaposition. I like the idea of, of that. Then I would say my my final question, because this has been very interesting and it, it was quite a ride through <laughs> uh, the the consumption and workings of Coach and Köln and uh, mm-hmm. that on a very subjective level. So I, I would like to end it with that. Um mm-hmm. One of the things that I have not asked you yet, uh, do you remember the time that you drank your first, your very, very first coach? Yes, I do. When was that? We couldn't get it more. It was definitely in Portland. It was, uh, it was 2002. I was unemployed and I had gone to a famous beer. It was not a bar at the time. It was just a beer a bottle shop. You could only get bottles and cans of, of, you know, Imports and, and Oregon breweries, and they had Reisdorf, and I grabbed a Reisdorf, and I bought, uh, at the same time, I bought a Reisdorf glass. And I took it home, and I popped that sucker open, and I filled my glass up. It was sadly a, a uh, an 04, not an 02. Um, so a much bigger glass. And I drank that down and I didn't care if it was oxidized. It was like one of the best beers I had tasted in a long, long time. Hmm. So I remember that. I remember it distinctly. I had to remember the buying the glass though. Otherwise I would have forgotten. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, and what do you think like throughout the years you mentioned? So it's uh, um, almost yeah, more than 20 years later um, mm-hmm. has changed in your perception, your connection to coach the beer i think i have gotten i it has become it's more relaxed i am more when i'm drinking kolsch i feel more relaxed and chill and i feel like i am connecting with a place and a people that i love and adore so i've gotten it it's more of a it's it's like home. It's like home for me. That's very nice. I think those are uh, famous last words. <laughs> so, I, I yeah, I have to say thank you so much. That that was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, insight into um, 
Kölsch more than I could ever do by researching a lot because I think there is something that you cannot really explain unless you have really dealt with it to uh, or engaged with it to a level that you have. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for that. We have reached the end of this beer-heavy episode of FC Uval. If you have a question, suggestion, or comments, or are a fan out there who would like to be on the show, reach out to me via fcöverall at gmail.com or via Twitter at fcöverall. Again, if you are not a member of the SFC Köln Supporters USA, sign up now. The link is in the description of this episode. That is it for now. Thank you very much for listening. Take care, and as always, 